Hi guys, welcome back to Reality with J Podcast. My name is Uche Nagbona and I'm your host on this podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so, so much for tuning in. Kindly go through the list of episodes. I'm sure you'll find something interesting to listen to. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your support. I hope everything is fine with you. I hope the past two weeks have been good for you. Yeah, for me, it's been good. I wrote my last exam, thankfully. And yeah, even though it wasn't great, I am hopeful that I will I will pass. And I also went on a short trip, which was fine. It was relaxing and, and just cool. So I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. And I hope you are too. Yes. Um, today I want to talk about something. I want to share with you something that I have been, I've come to learn, like over the past few weeks of studying the the Bible. So I've read many stories and I've seen like something common amongst um, some stories, some particular stories in the Bible, and that's what I would like to share with you. So straight up, it's about how God is a God of impossibilities. And yeah, you can already see that from the title of today's episode, The God of Impossibilities. So in many, there are many stories in the Bible where God proved himself to be a God of impossibilities in the sense of doing things that man would deem impossible. And I'll share a few examples with you. And yeah, I'll share like the, 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 the parts of these stories that are very striking that show um, how um, powerful God is in showing himself as um, a God of impossibilities and I hope that you are blessed by this and I hope that you can learn something from this at least learn to cast your cares on him basically because he and leave your battle for him to fight because he is um, that powerful and he does things that um, human beings can't comprehend yeah before i get to the lessons let me just share the the stories the few stories i have here i have three stories here and to be honest there's a lot lot more um, that you know give the same that paint the same picture of god but so maybe i'll do more episodes in the future on these like maybe um, a part two i i believe i'll do a part two or part three however um yeah the spirit leads but for this first part the stories i have picked are the story of gideon and the midianites and that you can find in judges chapter 7 and the story of david and goliath you can find that in first samuel chapter 17 and then the story of elijah and the prophets of Baal. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 18. So let's start with Gideon and the Midianites. If you know the story, um, well, if you, if you read through the chapters from like maybe 6, from chapter 6 of Judges, you'll find out that Midian was oppressing Israel and they were, they were doing this over time. And so Israel began to cry out for help from God and God chose Gideon to represent Israel, to um, captain Israel to battle against the Midianites. But guess what? Gideon was from the least, was the least of his house 
and his house was in the weakest clan in in Israel. So there was no indication that Gideon would be um, the kind of person that would save Israel from the hands of Midianites who were oppressing them. And and Gideon knew this. Gideon knew that he was. He, he actually said this himself when God um, revealed this to him that he was to be the one to save Israel. He revealed. He, he said this himself that he's um, the least of his father's house, and his house and his father's house is even the is even of the weakest clan. You know, so he he limited himself on the basis of um, his background. And didn't think that he could actually do what God was calling him to do. So he tested God. And God showed him signs. Impossible signs. Signs that one cannot believe. If you read it, you would see like um, how, how he told God that um, um, there will be um, fleece um, that he would place on. Fleece is like from the from sheep. I think it's like the, the kind of cloth or something that you get from, from sheep. And he'll place it on the on the ground overnight and that if God lets dew fall on the ground and the the fleece remains dry, then he would believe that it is truly God sending him to represent Israel. And yeah, God did that and he decided to test God again, saying that okay, let God do let let God do the opposite. So let there be water in the fleece and like dew in the fleece and dry ground and God did it again to prove that he, it was him it was truly him sending Gideon on this mission yeah so Gideon accepted the mission eventually and yeah he was to bring people to fight with him and he brought 32,000 people 32,000 people and God did not agree with this God God opposed this number he didn't want Israel he didn't want Gideon to go with such great number of people and his reason, you, you can find that in Judges chapter 7 verse 2, was that, I'll quote, Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So God was saying that he didn't want Israel to boast because they went to war with a high number and won the battle. Right? Um, that would give them the impression that it wasn't God who, who won the battle for them, but it was their, their power and their their armed force or something that the capacity of the armed force that that did the job right so that's what god didn't want and so he wanted gideon to filter the people so he gave him a process by which to decrease the number of people that he that would go with him and then gideon first decreased the number to ten thousand people and but god still wasn't satisfied god still wasn't satisfied ten thousand was still a great number of people for God to go for this battle against Midianites for God. And so God told Gideon another um, process to use to you know filter the people even further. And at the end of the day, Gideon was left with just 300 men. 300 men. Now let me show you how how, how Israel's enemies population, the Midianites and, and the rest of them was described. You can find that in, that in verse 12. It says, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. Can you imagine 
such great number of people like locusts in abundance have you ever seen like locusts fly you know they fly in like in 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 large numbers right and it also says as the sand that is on the seashore so there were so many like you couldn't number them basically this was the people that Israel was supposed to go against only 300 with only 300 men right but it was all part of God's plan because God didn't want Israel to boast in their in their capacity in their the capacity of the armed forces in their in their might or in their power or anything but God wanted to show them that it was it was him doing the work fighting the battle for for them that's why 300 people can go against this and what was the end end result Gideon and his 300 men defeated the Midian, Midianites chased them away killed them and all that just 300 men could do this and what's the reason obviously because God was on their side right so let's go to the next story that of David and Goliath which you can find in 1st Samuel chapter 17 and at this time the Philistines were the ones now persecuting Israel right this was the time of Saul when Saul was the, was the king of Israel and they were doing this and at one point they wanted to go to battle with the Israelites and they had a warrior a giant called Goliath now look at the description of Goliath you can find that in 1st Samuel chapter 17 verse 4 to seven his height was six cubits and his span he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing five thousand shekels on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels shekels his shield bearer went ahead of him. Just look at the description. Can you imagine how much how much metal was on this man's body? Bronze on his head, on his on his arms, on his legs, everywhere. Had a javelin. Had everything a a fighter, a warrior would have, every weapon imaginable that a weapon uh, and he had the physical might, the physical power. He was so tall, he was so big. It was so so broad and everything right now look at david's description the youngest david was the youngest of his youngest son of his father he was a shepherd tending his father's sheep so can you imagine a shepherd who is obviously untrained untrained to battle coming up against someone who has been trained over time like for wars and all that and upon that, David himself was just a young boy compared to, to Goliath, who must have the physical, um, like the physical, more physicality, you know, than, than David. David, in spite of this, wanted to go against Goliath, wanted to fight against Goliath. Why? Because he knew he had God. But Saul was skeptical when David approached him to tell him that he was ready to fight against Goliath. Because everyone else... Um, chickened out every everyone else all the warriors in in israel were, were afraid of goliath even the king himself was afraid of goliath king saul yeah but david wasn't and david yeah saul was skeptical but david eventually persuaded him and he, and he agreed and then what happened so someone wanted to give his dress to david like his war dress and all that to david 
for David to wear so that he can, you know, protect himself or and you know have a weapon to a strong weapon that can match match up with Goliath, you know, to fight against Goliath. But David tried it on, tried his tried um Saul's dress on and it didn't work out well for him. He was uncomfortable in it. So obviously he was unprotected. Right? Now let's describe David's let me read the description of David's weapon. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So all he had was five, was his staff, his staff, um, five smooth stones from the stream, and a sling. That was all David had, you know, to fight against what we described earlier someone bearing what we described earlier right and of course what you expect Goliath belittled David you can see that in verse 42 to 44 he looked David over and saw that he was he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome and he despised him he said to David am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. This was Goliath talking, talking to David. And I mean, as you can imagine, people around would think the same, like that this guy is going to beat the hell out of David, um, decimate David completely and put him in, in an unrecognizable state. I mean, who dare, what dare David to take such a bold step <laughs> to think, to think such a thing that he can come up against um, such a giant, you know, little as he was. So that's like the human way of thinking. But David did this. And what was the end result? He killed Goliath with only one stone and his um, um, sling. He killed Goliath at the end of the day, right? Because Goliath came to him with human weapons, but he came in the name of God, a God that is greater than Goliath, greater than the gods of the Philistines and the God of Israel, basically, fighting on the side of Israel all the time. And and that was the end result. David killed Goliath, right? But can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine how how it played out that what was unexpected what man would consider foolishness you know that a young boy would come to and want to fight against the giant is what god used you know to show his power and his might let's move to the third story about elijah and the prophets of baal you can find that in first kings chapter 18. this was this happened during the reign of king ahab king ahab was a was a bad king a corrupt king and during his time, Israel was made to worship um, Baal. And yeah, there was a prophet, Elijah. Elijah was angry that the people of Israel turned away from the, from the gods of the ancestors, the true God, and were instead worshiping Baal and all that. So he organized a contest with the 450 prophets of Baal. And what was this contest? The contest was that a bull would be provided for each side so one bull for the prophets of Baal and one bull for Elijah 
and each side would cut their bow into pieces, set it on wood, and then call upon the name of God of their God, and you know, um, whichever God responds with fire to consume that sacrifice is the true God. That was the the contest. Now, yeah, it says in verse twenty four. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. This was Elijah speaking. So, yeah, the prophets of, of, of Baal were to go first, and they prayed to their God. They, after setting up their sacrifice and everything, they prayed to their God from morning until noon and received no answer from, from Baal. And Elijah, Elijah, of course, mocked them. Mocked them that, yeah... If your God is true, then why hasn't he responded? Perhaps he is he's sleeping or maybe he he went to the market or went on a journey or something. So Elijah just basically mocked them and and yeah, when he came to his turn, he prepared his sacrifice. Elijah did, laid it on wood as was planned. Now can you imagine? Verse 33, verse 33 says that Elijah told the people fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood he then commanded them again a second time and a third time to pour water not fuel because fuel was not part of the game plan right no fuel so elijah told them to pour water now i ask you does water burn does water aid burning i'm sure you know the answer it actually prevents it, especially when the water is on wood. If wood is soaked in water, it will be very, it's almost impossible for it to catch fire. It has to be dry wood, right? But Elijah told them to pour water on that wood. Now, just imagine what's playing out here. Why didn't Elijah say, wait, never mind. Let's just complete the story first. So when Elijah did this, he prayed to God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what was the end result? Verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So Elijah's prayer was answered and fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, right? Proving what? That Elijah's God is the true God. That the God of Israel is the true God. Right? And Elijah won the contest, basically. So, so yeah. What's the point here? I mean, like, why did Elijah pour, ask for water to be poured on? Obviously, he must have been led by God. God's spirit. The same God who, who could use Gideon. And only 300 men who could tell Gideon, no, don't bring 10,000 men. It's too much. Don't bring 32,000 men. It's too much. Bring just 300 men. I need just 300 men to do this work, to fight against a number of people who are like locusts, who are like sand at the seashore, who you can't number. I need just 300 people to fight against them. That same God is the one who says, no, don't. Don't just pray to me when the wood is dry. Pour water on the wood so that it will be wet. So that it will be impossible for fire to consume it. And that's when I want to work. 
the same God who says, don't don't call me, don't call for me any warrior. I don't need a warrior to fight against this giant, this Philistine giant. I don't need a, a warrior. I don't need an experienced fighter. I don't need a king to do it. Call me a shepherd boy. Call me a little boy to do this with only a stone and a sling, a sling in his hand to fight against a man who is armed, well armed, fully armed, head to toe, every part of him shielded and with great weapons. Let that little boy fight against him. That's how I want to work. So many stories like this in the Bible, so many stories, but what lesson can we learn from this? The lesson I learned personally is that God does not take pride in, in the easy things. He doesn't take pride in the very basic things, things that um, can be done and and anybody would say it's uh, a, a man can do this. A man can do this. It's it's only natural. It's imaginable. I mean, it's practicable. You can do it. It's conceivable. He doesn't take pride in those things. He likes the unnatural. God likes the impossible, the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the unfathomable, the unbelievable, inconceivable, the seemingly foolish and incomprehensible. That's what God likes. That's what the God of Israel likes. That's what the God you and I serve likes. The second thing that I learned from this is that the battle is belongs to God. The battle belongs to Him. Whatever battle that we are we are facing, uh, it's not on us. It's not for us to to fight. It's not for us to use our human strength or our capacity or our wisdom or knowledge or anything to fight. Whatever the battle may be, it may be um, maybe a certain struggle. It can be an illness, an illness we are sick. And yeah, we don't know where the healing is going to come from. We've tried the expertise of different doctors and, and all that. And it looks now impossible for us to recover. But this is when this God, this is when he likes to work. This is the time he likes to show himself when it seems that it cannot be done. When it seems that there's no way. There's nothing that can happen, you know, to to change the situation. That's when this God likes to work. That's why we need to let him do his work at that time. And just by calling his name, because all these people, all they did was call upon his name. Gideon called upon his name, as was the instruction he was given. Uh, David called upon his name when he was to fight against him, um, against Goliath. Elijah called upon the name of this God and he answered all of them. So many other people, so many other stories. And that's why I'm going to do it, part two by God's grace. So is it a, a struggle with um, an illness? Is it a struggle with finances? It is a struggle with, with sin that um, comes over and over. Is it that? Is it? any kind of um, addictions, any kind of um, difficulties or problems, strongholds, whatever it is, this God is alive and he doesn't just do 
I mean, he doesn't just do things once and stops. Whatever he did in the past, he does again and again and again. I decided to bring to highlight three stories to show you the consistency of this God. He doesn't just do it once. He does it again and again so that you know that it is him. It's the same one true living God, right? Jehovah El Shaddai. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Omnipotent and Omnipresent, the, the the one that words cannot describe, right? He's the one who who likes to do all these things. So, whatever battles you're facing, just call upon His name, and yeah, rest assured that He'll answer you. You may not come at the time when you expect but that's part of it at the time when you least expect that's when he'll he'll act and then you know that should be a sign that yes this is this is the god that that um, we are talking about here i, I hope you've been blessed <laughs> i don't i didn't expect it to be this long but i really hope that you got the message and yeah just call upon his name and He'll be there to answer you any day, any time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, God bless you and see you next time. Bye.